One of the pastors likes to preach on Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. God loves us, interacts with us, and sent Jesus to provide this hope, this light into our lives. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable Podcast, brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. I'm Rich Rudowski. And I'm Emily Wilson. And it is that time of year that we all love so much, Christmas time. Yes, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. So glad you're spending some of it with us here on Essentially Translatable. Mm-hmm. And today we have a very special episode. Many of you have heard these stories before, but we just love having those reflections of Christmas time from around the world and just how that rich uh, and deep perspective of different language communities celebrating and bringing scripture um, in a new light and being able to enrich the church global. Yeah, it's it's really wonderful. The stories of Jesus' birth and incarnation are are there's so many different angles that they you can take on them if you really stop and think about what the magnitude of Christmas is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, then you start to put that in other cultural frames of reference, and uh, different things come out. It's so amazing, just the richness of who God is and and what happened at Christmas time. I think that's one of the things I love so much about this episode every year when we when it comes out. Yeah, so we do hope that you enjoy our Christmas tradition here at Lutheran Bible Translators and have a very merry Christmas listen. There was nothing around that could prepare me for Christmas. I mean, she was thinking of, you know, decoration-wise, environment-wise, weather-wise. Those are the same experiences that my family and I had when we went to Botswana uh, more than 10 years ago now. And also, we we went in July. We already knew this is going to be different. We had two winters uh, because (laughs) we had the regular winter in Michigan. And then when we got to Botswana, it was winter again, uh, which is not nearly as bad, but it was cold. And and, uh, then we came to summer in November and December. And at that time, I actually wrote a uh, reflection that was published, and I'm just going to read some of that, of, of what we were experiencing. So what is Christmas to you? Probably most of you listening will know that the correct answer is supposed to be things like, it's the day we remember the birth of Jesus. It's the Jesus is the reason for the season. You might even use theological words like incarnation or talk of the wonder of God becoming flesh. And of course, you're right. It is all those things. But the reality is that for all of us, lots of other things have gotten wrapped up with Christmas, and they're very much a part of it for us as well. Things like family, church celebrations by candlelight, Advent services, Christmas trees, and tons of lights. And if you live far enough north, snow is a part of Christmas. Retail shopping madness and grabbing a cup of Starbucks while making the frosty rounds are part of Christmas. Turkey and mashed potatoes and watching bowl games are part of it. We don't say or act like these things are necessary, but for many of us, these are important aspects of Christmas. So in 2009, my wife, my five children, and I moved to the rural Kalahari Desert village of Kang in the southern African nation of Botswana. And we were there to help translate the Bible into Shikalahari, a minority language spoken by over 200,000 people. And a few months after we arrived there, our first celebration of Christmas came. 
And we experienced all those familiar things being stripped away from our celebration of Christmas. Advent services, not there. Christmas lights, we did see a few in the city, but electricity is like a prepaid commodity and a luxury, so nobody wasted on things like Christmas lights. Starbucks and fr- making the frosty rounds, no way. I mean, Nescafe and is too hot anyways, and more like ice water and 100-degree temperatures in the southern African summer. Christmas Eve celebrations by candlelight. And the candles would have melted in that church. It was a midnight service in a stifling tin building, and I actually got sick and had to leave early on that first Christmas Eve. And the next morning, we didn't wake up early to go to Grandma's. Instead, my kids and I got up early on Christmas morning. We went with our neighbors from the village to their cattle post, and there we helped them slaughter a goat for Christmas dinner. That's right. Our Christmas dinner was alive on Christmas morning. (laughs) (laughs) And instead of a pine Christmas tree filling the living room with that wonderful aroma, we made our Christmas tree by tracing our hands on green paper. We cut those out and taped them to the wall. We waited till almost 4 o'clock in the afternoon to let the heat of the day pass, and then we gathered for Christmas dinner with our neighbors. We ate outside in a shady, sandy area of our yard, and we had potato salad and watermelon complementing that main course of goat. Many people here spend Christmas at their home village, and... Um, They go to the village gathering spot to watch traditional dance and choir competitions. There was no football. There was no pie. There was no Christmas bargain shopping or after Christmas bargain shopping. It was so different. And I never realized how much being a Northern Hemisphere Christian had influenced my feelings of Christmas. I never realized how much I expected Santa and snowmen as much as Jesus and a manger. And incidentally, I was in Ethiopia around Christmas time a few years ago and the missionaries I was with, we visited uh, an Anglican church uh, while we were there for, and they had a Christmas service, and it was just, it made me laugh inside all the carols we sang that had to do with snow and starry nights and all this stuff. I mean, that's just what we have, we have really wrapped that all together, and so I never realized how much that was affecting my view of Christmas. I never expected that the sun staying up till 9.30 on Christmas Eve would take some of that holiness out of the silent night. But in all of it, one thing really came through to me. You strip all that other stuff away, and the historical fact remains, God became man. Jesus was born of a virgin in a small Middle Eastern village some 2,000 years ago in a place that was actually quite a bit like the village I was living in at that time. And his arrival in world history irrevocably altered the course of the universe and everything within it. He made it possible for all of us to be reconciled to God. And with so many things different and so many things missing from our celebration of Christmas, that fact just became more prominent and clearer to me. You can take away all the stuff of Christmas, which is good and it's great for celebrating, but you take them all away and you still have Jesus. You still have the incarnation. He came to walk uh, among the human race in a very different place than the glory of heaven. He gave up his glory to lead us to God. And only in being completely removed from all that I'd come to find familiar and and myself striving to become incarnate in another place and another culture, could I really focus on the real gift of Christmas? God became man in Jesus Christ, and we had the privilege to share that good news, and that is the greatest gift of all. That is so awesome, that perspective, right? And that posturing. And I wonder how many of us during this pandemic and this unusual season of where the traditions are no longer um, quite as present, right? 
how many of us will be similarly reflecting right. of what what is really you know the the heart of the season and how is it that i have filled it up right yeah, yeah. it's true i i read in the news recently you know some I forget who, and I don't want to be political, but some government official saying, well, Christmas may not be possible. And I think what what that person meant to say is the type of celebrations you're used to celebrating. But, you know, that is Christmas is so much more than that. And like you said, there is nothing that can come pandemic or otherwise that will prevent Christmas from actually coming, you know, the celebration because Jesus has come. Absolutely. Yeah. So wanting to share from a different region in Africa, uh, Michael Ursland, who recently spent his first term in Ghana, West Africa, and his experience a little bit from a similar perspective, but also completely unique and all of the celebration leading up to. Uh, so wanting to share Michael's story. Hello, I'm Michael Ersland, uh, working with the Comb Old Testament Translation Project in Ghana. And when I think about Christmas in Comboland, I think of churches from the area all gathering together for several days for Christmas convention. And it's just an exciting time, a high adrenaline. Worship services starting in the morning, going to the afternoon, and then starting in the evening and going to midnight. Just awesome to be together with fellow believers, uh, combo brothers and sisters in Christ. And something that one of the pastors likes to preach on is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. That is, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And just this joy that we have as people that, knowing that God loves us, interacts with us, and sent Jesus to provide this hope, this light into our lives. And as we're gathering together at night for evening worship for Christmas convention, and it's dark with some lights shining, people's flashlights, or um, maybe a generator-powered light. And as the pastor's preaching and saying, Arise, shine, for your light has come, it's just exciting to get to experience that also of being in this darkness and realizing what a gift light is in that Christ is the light for our lives and we have this light during Christmas um, that we remember and he comes and dwells among us. So that's a memory, something from Combaland that I've learned from my brothers and sisters in Christ in Bintiri, Ghana, and hope to share with you. And I hope that you have a light-filled, Christ-filled, joyous Christmas. And so for my wife, Naomi, and I, we wish you a Merry Christmas. It's so true how being in a different place highlights different parts of Scripture and there the darkness and the light really coming through in those Old Testament texts, those prophecies pointing to, and that's in Southern Africa. You know, we look at Advent and really focus on the darkness and light, and of course there's all kinds of prophecy that does that, but there are a whole bunch of other prophecies about the Messiah that talk about water and 
deserts turning into places of growth. And uh, one year at uh, one of the churches there for Advent, instead of having candles, they had four glasses, uh, three of them purple and one of them pink, and each uh, Sunday they filled one of them up with water. (laughs) and had texts to do with uh, the prophecies of Christ coming. And and that fit the context because weather-wise, the dry season has been dragging on. And when you get to the time of Advent, you're also hoping for those first rains. And so it's just really, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's that time of darkness. And you go to some of the historical development of Christmas. It does have to do with, like, it just keeps getting dark earlier and earlier. (laughs) And is it ever going to be light again? And, And so the way that Scripture connects to life regardless of where you are and what you're experiencing, uh, the Holy Spirit has masterfully woven together the scripture that will will touch you uh, one way or another. Yeah, and just thinking about the imagery, you know, how scripture is so alive with that imagery of essential, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about the original context where light was, we didn't have light pollution, right? And thinking about when it was dark, it was utterly dark and what was out beyond the fringes of your your settlement might hurt you right and how light brings life it brings protection and thinking about the messiah as that uh, life and protection absolutely thinking about water in the desert being life and protection of uh your surviving right it's beyond just how and then beyond just surviving but thriving Mm -hmm. and how how powerful that imagery is and like you said the spirit is at work that this is uh relevant for any context wherever and how people have adapted accordingly within right southern africa it keeps getting lighter in those evenings but water is that that commodity, that scarcity, and so drawing in. That's just, it's amazing how the church can sharpen one another in different regions. And Jim Kaiser has a story, too, about maybe it's not the elements per se, but a common life experience of travel and how that has impacted his understanding of the uh, nativity story of thinking about the travel of Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem and how much that has really changed his understanding over the years from his own personal experiences. It was my first Christmas Eve in Africa. Susan and I were bumping along a rural dirt road in northern Sierra Leone. It was getting late in the day, so I was trying to hurry as much as possible so that we would reach our destination before dark. But Susan, who was expecting our first son in two weeks, kept begging me to slow down so that she wouldn't get shaken around so much. My mind went to another man who also had to travel on rough roads with his pregnant wife. Did Joseph sometimes have to hurry so that they would reach their lodging by nightfall? Did Mary sometimes beg him to slow down so that her stomach didn't bounce so much on the back of the donkey? Those are answers that we will never know here on earth. But that experience did give me more of a connection to the human part of the Christmas story, of God actually becoming a baby in Mary's womb. 
Yeah, if you've ever ridden with Jim Kaiser, you know Susan's concerns are real. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I love that take on things that um, just the 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 humanity of the story because the Christmas story is I mean it's very uh, in one way sanitized none of us have walked or ridden on donkeys for you know this is a like a 40 mile trip for Mary and Joseph I go 40 miles to just go to Walmart you know and I I do it all in one day but that's a major undertaking uh, for most of human history honestly Mm -hmm. and even in many parts of the world today it still can be a major undertaking even just to go that kind of distance and I love that uh, being in that that context that, again, is probably more similar to the biblical context. It, it takes your mind to mm-hmm. these relationships going on, Joseph and Mary, and how are they interacting on this, this trip. And Absolutely. And human relationships of, like, here's a, a man and woman who really don't necessarily know each other that well. Sure, <laughs> and yeah. travel brings out the best and the worst of us. It can. That's true. <laughs> but yeah. thinking about, like you said, the how we sanitize it, um, certainly my nativity set that I have, uh, Mary is looking very sharp, very clean. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everyone is clean and pristine and the hair is just so and yeah, right. Right. Just thinking about Jesus, um, you know, the incarnation, God becoming man. That was a messy business. <laughs> it was. If you think, I wonder, you know, if the angels are in heaven saying, you really, you want to send them <laughs> at this time in this place? I mean, you know, it's going to get better uh, <laughs> hospital wise and cleanliness wise. But right. uh, <laughs> Oh, that's so true. <laughs> Uh, Martin uh, Weber, a longtime missionary in Cameroon with his wife Joan, talks about the Kwanja world uh, there, um, and the uh, the Kwanja are some of the folks they've worked with over the years, and how their world is much more like Mary and Joseph's world than than our world too. So he tells this story: Our son Nathan has his birthday on December twenty third. Uh, so one year we invited a few friends, he puts in quotes, uh, and, and it says more than 50 came, but that's another story, and uh, I have been there, my friend. And uh, so they came, and Martin says, I told them this Christmas story. As I did, it struck me that what happened to Jesus' parents could easily happen in Yimberi here in Cameroon. Government orders a census, no questions asked, you go where they say, when they say. No vehicles, you walk, maybe one donkey if you're lucky. The distance Nazareth to Bethlehem is similar to the distance to the divisional headquarters north of Yimberi, a logical place to demand a census. Getting there requires some days on the road. Mary is very pregnant. Joseph is very concerned. Getting there, the town is full of people. No surprise, Bethlehem would be the ancestral home for many people. Place to sleep? Nope. Okay. You go in that cave stable. Midwife? Maybe. <laughs> But right there was born the only son of God. God chose that place, those circumstances, because incarnation had to have him come all the way down to the level of ordinary people. I love that he has been able to draw so many connections and how powerful that is to the community. Because not everyone who showed up was probably Christian, right? And being able to bring it into a... Hey, this is really relatable. <laughs> yeah, 
you know how this is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just to his point, I mean, Jesus was not born in a palace. So somehow Joseph is related to David, but I mean, he's not the guy in that line somehow because <laughs> he's not he's not powerful or reigning on anyone's throne. So yeah, so he's he's just a normal guy and Jesus is just uh born in these really uh unusual but very humble and maybe even normal mm-hmm. circumstances. I think we think of it as unusual, but uh Maybe it's not right. <laughs> for most of the world and most of history. These are the the ways things are. People who have power tell you to do something, you go and do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the midst of that, here comes God to say, you know, the gospel is going to have the last word here. Right. That it's the incarnation of more than just this humanity, but the incarnation and redeeming of all these facets of life, the very human experience of not only living and breathing and eating and sleeping, but also being under, you know, what does it mean to be under government? What does it mean to be under a father and mother? And all of these things that he experienced and did perfectly and that, you know, he redeemed it. We we can't do it, but he did it for us. It's just so, so powerful, so empowering too as a Christ follower to share that with others that people who don't know, they think that it's, you know, a faith for a lofty life and that you have to be a certain way all of the time that it's like, no, Jesus entered into the mess, the everyday and redeeming that it's just i get excited <laughs> so true yeah so thinking about from the kwanja perspective you know they they were hearing this christmas story mm-hmm. maybe for the first time and similarly uh jim lash shares a story about the Graybo people in liberia and how they were hearing this story in a new way maybe for the first time some of the people in the village but really the ownership that came with it of how do we not only see this as a story long time ago but really story for us and how it relates to our culture our time our values He is one of us, Luke 2-7, in northern Grebel of Liberia. O kona o nyisadju, o moa jibidudu, o fifiea, o dubrudaro, o peana o bununua, mundi broku wambu. She birthed her firstborn, a boy child. She wrapped him with a newborn cloth, and then she laid him in the animal feed box. Newborn cloth is a Grebel tradition. After birth, the midwife cuts and ties the cord, washes the newborn baby, and then uses a clean cloth prepared for the newborn, wrapping him or her lovingly and handing him to mother. The word nisaju is a special grable word meaning firstborn child. Being nisaju is unique and a highly cherished position. When the grable person hears the words dupludalo, newborn cloth, and nisaju, firstborn, it creates a very clear picture that this child was born in a humble and a true grable way. People will proclaim, he is one of us, and that is 
the main idea of Christmas. It's so true. <laughs> well, some of the most powerful words of the Christmas story is, unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born. And I said unto you, which is King James, but in, you know, uh, for you or your Savior, that taking that, that pronoun and saying, this didn't just happen, but it happened for you. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that the, uh, the Grabo translation personalizes that mm-hmm. uh, for people that in every culture, the gospel message is essentially translatable, <laughs> if we can <laughs> use that term. But that's, I mean, that is, that is the whole point, is that uh, it is God who created and then redeems all of these cultures. And most of the world's history, when they think of what is out there and who do we relate to, their concept of a greater being or a God is somebody that's just local there or for them. And throughout the scriptures, the Lord God claims to be God of the entire mm-hmm. world. And then he doesn't just come and claim that kingship by forcing you to go his way. He allows you know the translation and the incarnation of the message to also say he's one of us and he's always been one of us we are we are his people word made flesh right and that is exactly what Rhoda Hogue shares in her Christmas story so this is the retelling of a very special Christmas for her Reverend Claude and Rhoda Hogue served in Africa for 23 years. One of the most memorable experiences happened during the Christmas season in a village in northern Ghana. The village had a nativity scene, said Rhoda, complete with Mary and Joseph and a few animals, but the manger was empty. I couldn't imagine who or what was going to fill the role of baby Jesus. There were no babies that I could see, and dolls were rare. Much to her surprise, though, the girl playing Mary reached behind her back and pulled out a Bible. She placed the book in the manger. It was moving to see how much was placed on Scripture that this book would be used to represent Jesus. And how insightful Jesus is the word. What could be more appropriate than putting a Bible in the manger to represent the Savior of the world? I love it. (laughs) The word made flesh when that word speaks. And, you know, when working in a, a Bible translation ministry, you know, ultimately, of course, we don't worship the Bible. Right. Uh, it's the Christ that the Bible testifies to. Yet there's something very, very close and powerful between that proclaimed word and who it points to. And the fact that that word is is powerful, it acts and it moves. And so what a lovely representation of this is the savior right. of the world and the savior of the world is found here right yeah right yeah the foundation of our faith is reading his word and how we can grow and that we're just on this daily journey of walking alongside each other but that god is leading us and that like you said, that it's found in the words of Scripture that we are able to know truth and that it will set us free. Yeah. And we've got the privilege of working in this ministry of, of working as missionaries and with uh, partners in the, the local context, uh, folks that God has there's a different story for every person, right? I mean, God is raised up. They may already be part of uh, a church that is formed, that is seeking to 
know God more and more deeply by access to the Word of God. It may be part of a a group that isn't Christian yet, but somebody knows the language well and says, I want to help do this. And in that process, the Word of God being active transforms their lives and they come to know the true and living God. It could be uh, there are some places in the world where Bible translation is happening, where persecution still happens uh, of Christians. And again, that is really the Christian experience throughout most of the world. We grew up in a, uh, and we come from a European context, ancestrally, many of us listening even as well, where Christianity's had a place of power and and, uh, privilege for a long time. Uh, But most of the world uh, through the history of the church hasn't experienced mm-hmm. that, that there has, the church does not need to have that power and that prestige for the gospel to go forth. In fact, it seems mm-hmm. like it may go forth even more effectively <laughs> when that's not the case. And so even, you know, today as as folks are listening to this podcast, there are Christians at work in the world sharing the good news in situations that are dangerous and desperate. And we want to share one of those stories from uh, one of our contexts uh, about um a guy who we'll call, uh, for safety purposes, Pastor Santi. Pastor Santi has been an integral part of our project's literacy and scripture engagement program over the last several years. Toward the end of 2017, our team had asked him to help with a gospel film dubbing project into the Kon language, and Kon is a, a pseudonym for the language, again, for purposes of safety. And uh, he was to read the part of Abraham in three short Bible story videos from the series called God Provides. Since Pastor Santi came to faith, he's been used by God to plant and disciple several churches in his home province in the country where we work, including a number of house churches among other tribal groups. In December 2017, after completing the audio recordings in our studio for two of the God Provides videos, he was asked by a group of those house churches to come and preach for a village Christmas celebration in another district. He agreed to come and preach, but reminded the villagers that they would need to get permission from local authorities to do this. They assured him they would take the necessary steps. Just a week or so before the celebration, he finished his part on the second film, and we saw him at a Christmas service at a house church near our home. He preached a beautiful message about our Savior Jesus, emphasizing the fact that Jesus had been willing to come from heaven to be born into the middle of the refuse of humanity. The word in the national language that's prefixed to a number of verbs indicating various vices and bad habits is key. This happens to be the same word as dung. Pastor Santi recalled how Christ had been willing to be born in an animal pen, which local people easily understand to be full of the smell of dung and the like. He explained how Jesus was not only willing to do this, but to be born into the midst of our various human vices and failings to save us from them and the punishment that we deserve. It was for this purpose, the purpose of lifting us out of the dung of our sins, that he came into the world. A week after we saw him there, he went up to the hill village where the Christmas celebration was to take place. The village believers had also invited a team to show a Christmas film or Christian film in the national language prior to his arrival, and a large crowd had gathered. But someone in the village had complained to the authorities, and when it was asked whether they had secured proper permission to carry out this Christmas celebration, it turned out that they hadn't. So shortly after Pastor Santi arrived, before he even had the opportunity to preach his Christmas message, he was accused, along with the film team, of breaking the law. He and the film team were taken into custody and sent to the district police station and later that evening to the provincial jail while the authorities investigated and sorted the matter out. 
late at night on what would have been Christmas Eve. Instead of preaching a message to encourage these young believers in their faith about all that Christ had done for them, he found himself being put into a holding cell with drug addicts, thieves, brawlers, and sex offenders at the provincial lockup. There was hardly any space on the hard floor to find room to lay down. It was cold, and he had no blanket. He worried about his wife and what she would do when he didn't come home and found out that he was in jail for preaching the gospel. He didn't know what exactly the charges would be or how long it might take to work through this misunderstanding. He started to despair about the situation he found himself caught in. He lay curled up on the hard floor awake with these worries swirling through his mind, smelled the urine and feces of the cell's common commode, and began feeling sorry for himself and asking God, why? But at that moment, he recalled that on Christmas Eve, his Savior Jesus had been born in very uncomfortable circumstances, probably less comfortable even than his current state, and that Jesus had been willing to do this for him and all the dung of humanity, even the lawbreakers laying around him and those who had taken him captive. He felt a strong impression that the Lord was saying to him, I was born into an animal pen for you and all these people tonight. Your plan was to preach in the village, but my plan for you here is share the good news you have with them, even your captors. As morning broke, Pastor Santi took heart in these words that God had a purpose for him being in that jail. As the various inmates stirred awake and saw their new guest, they greeted him and asked what he was in for. He answered that he was in there because he put his faith in God and in his Savior, Jesus Christ, and that there was a misunderstanding about celebrating Jesus' birth. Having sparked their interest, they began to ask him what all that meant, and he explained who Jesus was and how Jesus had called him out of a life of drunkenness and womanizing many years earlier to come and follow him and to trust him for the forgiveness of his sins. The other captors listened with sincere intent as he shared his life story and the story of how Jesus had accomplished the world's salvation through his birth, life, death on a cross, and resurrection from the dead. As the morning went on, the authorities came to the cell to summon him for questioning. Though he was nervous about how to answer, suddenly God gave him a boldness that he should just tell them the truth. In the interrogation room, the lead police officer asked him pointedly, Why are you a Christian? What did Jesus do for you? perhaps thinking that he was benefiting from this work of telling people about God by getting a salary or some other compensation. But Pastor Santi, with new courage, began to tell his interrogators his testimony. A number of years ago, after leading a life of excess, I had gotten sick and had thought I was going to die. A man from a nearby village came to our village to share the good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I had nowhere else to turn for help or healing, so when I heard these things, I began to think that maybe Jesus could help me, not only to heal me from my sickness, but to change my life and to clean me up. Pastor Santi told the officers that he had been given the opportunity by the man to become a Christian by trusting in Jesus, and he had decided to give Jesus his life. I asked God to clean me up so that I could have a new life. When that man prayed for me to be healed, I was healed. God not only healed my body, but he forgave my sins and changed my life, making me new. Pastor Santi later reflected, I wasn't afraid because I was telling the police the true story of what Jesus had done in my life. The Spirit helped me stay strong, speak truth, and not be afraid. I saw clearly as they listened to my words attentively that it was God's plan for me to share with these police officers. Though it took a month of time in jail to work out his case, Pastor Santi had several other opportunities to share about God's love in Jesus, both with the other inmates as well as with the police. 
Christians around the world helped with a gift to pay a sizable fine that was assessed for him and the film team, and in the end, they were all released, but not before the seeds of the gospel were planted in many new hearts. Wow. I love this story so much. But I also, as I'm listening and reflecting, I just wonder at the power of the Holy Spirit to change that fear into a boldness. Because when he asks why, I think that I would probably be more than just why. I would probably be a little angry, not at just you know the the circumstance but also why hadn't they like gotten the permit why god why 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 and a little anger but the beauty here of a life transformed by the gospel and how he took this situation and glorified god just so beautiful and the way that uh, the holy spirit prepared his heart by the message he had already been proclaiming and then all of a sudden these these images and things he's using to describe jesus coming in the world now he's sitting literally in them and the holy spirit brings them to his mind to say this is this is why and uh, just um um this part where he says uh i began to think that maybe jesus could help me Mm -hmm. i mean Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is what Christmas is all about and what the gospel is all about. If you, if anyone listening to this podcast is also wondering, can Jesus help me? The answer is yes. And um, he shows that in, in Jesus becoming man. I mean, that is what Christmas is all about. The incarnation is God saying, uh, Jesus can help you. And um, whatever it takes, whatever we have to go through, um, this man <laughs> spent a month in jail and um, like a modern day book of Acts story, mm-hmm. um, he just spread the gospel and sent a whole bunch of other people out with it. Just right. that's a Christmas to remember. That is a different Christmas. Exactly. And how maybe we haven't uh, found ourselves in a prison cell, right. but maybe in some other situation that, you know, has tested us and we feel drained and we're at the bottom and how God has reached out and lifts us up and um, has wonderful, beautiful plans uh, for us um, that maybe it's, it's going to look different for each one of us, but ultimately it's a relationship with him and, how we've been called to not only that, but then to share that with others, that it's not uh, a light to hide under a basket, you know, and it's not a cold drink of water to keep to ourselves, but to pass that along. And uh, just the beauty of that this Christmas season that, you know, even in spite of the, the situations that we find ourselves in, that he is uh, above all and through all and that he has a plan for each and every one of us. Yeah, it can be so easy in, in uh, again, now I'm thinking more from just our own culture, Western culture, to um, lose sight of the fact that no matter what's going on right now, um, it's not like God forgot about us. Right. Um, I mean, so I, I doubt anybody listening here is 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 listening or has recently spent time in a prison cell on Christmas for preaching the gospel. I mean, those three things together kind of exclude most of us. <laughs> but um, 
But you may be feeling imprisoned by something. Um, the pandemic may have made you feel imprisoned this year, uh, that uh, you can't go and, and see the people and do the things uh, that you would normally do and, and be with folks. Or um, uh, I know a lot of folks that have lost loved ones um, because of the pandemic or or just circumstances that were affected by it. And, um, yeah, it's God is still in all these things. And um, it's so easy to blame, like when uh, Pastor Santi was asking God why, and you mentioned, well, you know, he could very easily have been saying, why didn't people do their jobs and whatever. But um, every circumstance we're in has the potential to be redeemed at some point, um, and, and God can work through it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, right in that situation, even in the prison cell, like he had the opportunity to share the gospel and he, he took it. And like you said, like the modern day Acts story, and we, we take courage from those, uh, stories of the faith of men and women who, uh, stood by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It's not our own strength, but trusting that, uh, this, there is, in fact, good to come out of every circumstance that um, God places in our lives that we can um, be just a witness to his goodness. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's really what Christmas is all about. <laughs> you think about Linus and his blanket on Charlie Brown. I mean, Christmas is all about... Um, God saying, um, the way things normally go, uh, I have something better than that. And uh, whatever sin or hurt or pain or or problem or addiction or broken relationship, none of those things can have the last word. The gospel has the last word. And uh, that's why it's a privilege to, well, first of all, to just be called in, in, in faith and to follow the Lord, but also to work in mission and to share the good mm-hmm. news with uh, with others as well. I hope that as you listen and reflect on uh, whatever you're listening to this, if it's still Christmas break, Christmas Eve, that uh, no matter what, because Christmas and the Incarnation is really a, a 365, or in 2020 where we had an extra day, 366 day a year thing, a reality, right, that uh, God became man, changed the course of the universe forever. And we're thankful for the privilege to, to work together with our partners around the world to um, to take this gospel, to um, to review it again, to think through how to speak it again, mm-hmm. how to uh, really reflect that Jesus is one of us, how to focus on parts of the scripture that speak to different uh, cultural things and recognize that the gospel is for all humanity, not bound to any culture, yet at home in every single one of them. Listening to that episode again, just I'm really grateful for the wide breadth of experiences that have been shared and just, again, how amazing Christmas is and the incarnation and all those different angles on it. It's it's uh, so cool to hear every year. Yeah, and it's just scratching the surface, right? Yeah. Just, you know, the millions of people around the world as they're encountering the story of salvation for the first time. Like, even you think about little kids and the Christmas programs around the world where yeah. it's finally clicking, you know, that 
this Jesus who is born in Bethlehem is for me. And he, he came, this King of heaven came and, and for my sins and that he was going to live this perfect life for my salvation, dying on the cross for my sins. And just what that means around the world, this universal story of salvation and yet so personal and that language community is bringing it into a space of what does this mean for us? That's right. Because yeah, every time this story is told in a new language, it immediately also finds a home in that language when this gospel is for you and this this baby born in Bethlehem is for you, a savior is born to you. And uh, it's just really powerful to think about what that really means and let that sink through all the stuff going on in our hearts and minds and all the busyness that we may have and and just pause and reflect that that is true for us and and, uh, and every community that story is told is true for them too. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our third annual Christmas with Lutheran Bible Translators. God's blessings on your Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. You can find past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Audible, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translators' social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is produced and edited by Andrew Olson. Our executive producer is Emily Wilson. Podcast artwork was designed by Caleb Rodewald and Sarah Rodowski. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Rodowski. So long for now. <laughs>